Good morning. Oh, it is a drizzly early December morning. We are in December now. This is the first week of Advent. Adventus. Uh, what does it say? December 5th, I guess. Yeah. So, actually, we may be entering the second week of Advent. I don't remember, but I think we're still in the first week of Advent. Yeah, Christmas is uh, just 20 days away, less than three weeks. Uh, that means for me is that I've got three different concerts I've got to prepare for. I've, I've finished one performance I had to do, very, very minor, very minor performance with the kindergarten that I did last week. And then I've got three more this this year. I've got a, a jazz gig and then uh, two, two different uh, kind of classical concerts, classical slash Christmas concerts I'm going to do. And, uh, and on top of all that, I've caught some kind of a little cold. So my voice may be just a little bit huskier than usual. The mornings are always kind of rough, but it gets better as the day goes on. Kind of mixed with allergies too. I'm not, you know, when you have allergies, you're never really quite sure whether what's going on with your body is an allergic reaction or it's, you know, cold caused by a virus. It's kind of difficult to tell the difference sometimes. They uh, have kind of mimicking symptoms for sure. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's going to make things a little bit difficult, but I need to get my voice in shape and uh, start singing more this week. Uh, been busy with a lot of other stuff the last couple weeks. And, yeah. So, uh, a few things came up. I guess re really what I should talk about is Advent. Um, although, you know, I've done so many Advent things, I think maybe I will just skip it this year. And, uh, you know, we'll see if maybe I do something... Uh, with Advent a little later, maybe just do one Advent thought on uh, peace, hope, love. Peace, hope, love, and what's the other one? <laughs> I always forget joy. Peace, hope, love, and joy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just see how that works out. I don't know. Uh, but today, uh, something, so I follow a guy named Brad Jerzak. I've read a few of his books. Uh, I found him to be uh, one of the authors that has set me on my current path. Um, he is certainly different, but he is the, the first one. I think I got to be careful about this. It could have been Greg Boyd. They both have kind of similar um, theological paths in some ways, um, but they both disagree with 
the depiction of God as a warrior God. Uh, Brad Jerzak's book um, that I read first was a more Christ-like God, uh, a more beautiful gospel, I think is what it was. A more Christ-like God, a more beautiful gospel. And then Greg, Greg Boyd's, uh, you know, um, what do you even call that? Uh, opus, his, his life's work. Uh, can't remember what that word is. It'll probably come to me anyway. Uh, which is crucifixion of the warrior God. And both of them deal with, um, at least somewhat, uh, they they deal with how the Old Testament depicts God and and what the ramifications of that has been for modern church. Uh, in other words, because we see God as a warrior God, as depicted as a warrior God in the Old Testament, we have accepted today that God is still a warrior God because we believe God does not change. Therefore, if God was a warrior God then, he must be a warrior God today. Um, of course, this um, would be uh, different from a dispensational view in that God doesn't change, but he does change the ways that he deals with mankind from era to era. In other words, he does what he, he is, who he needs to be for the people of a certain era. And so, uh, in the Old Testament, God was a warrior God because that's what was needed. Uh, it, God in Jesus is is a gentle, loving, giving, forgiving God. Uh, the problem is this, this uh, makes room for God to be whatever he chooses to be in the future. He can come back as a as a warrior God again, you know, he could, he could come back, um, you know, you just never know what the next, uh, dispensation is going to be like the next era. Uh, <laughs> so this, this gives rise, uh, or maybe fuel, uh, to the, uh, charismatic Pentecostal view that, uh, God was once a lion uh, in Christ, he came as a lamb, but in judgment, he will come back as a lion and destroy all of his enemies. Both Boyd, <coughs> excuse me, Boyd and Jerzak, of course, take issue with this because they see Jesus as the final, as the final statement on who God is, and Boyd would say that that God is cruciform, that the cross, the idea that <clears throat> God sacrifices himself for the, for the good of mankind is who God has always been and will always be, and he can be none other than the cruciform God or the, the God that we find in Jesus on the cross. Um, <clears throat> This is a bit of a tangent, but but I, I think I, I think it's more likely 
I think it's more likely that Jesus knew exactly who God was because he was God. And that Old Testament writers, though they tried to depict God, and they did so uh, according to their understanding, according to their perspective, that they they got God wrong. And I think I think Jesus even says so in the Gospels when he says, um, you know, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you'll find eternal life, but it's the Scriptures that point to me. Jesus is saying that the Scriptures are pointing to God being... Uh, Jesus, you know, the Messiah coming, God coming back to, to lead his people and to save his people. Uh, and it's not, it's not what the scriptures say so much uh, that has importance, but it's what they're pointing to, right? It's what they're pointing to. And I don't think you have to use your imagination too much to realize that today's church has taken the map, a.k.a. the Bible, which was meant to point to salvation and to Christ, but made it salvation and made it to Christ. They have anointed the Bible, the words, the book, the collection of, of, of uh, the words of authors, and made it into a God. And I've said this before, that the Bible, in many ways, has become the fourth member of the Trinity. In fact, I would say it's it's actually the third member because I think it's supplanted Christ Himself. Uh, I think, I think, in many ways, uh, people thought that it, yes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, but then the flesh became paper and and ink. Uh, <clears throat> I really think that's what most most evangelical Christians think. Now, if I were to articulate it like that to them, of course, I think they would deny it, but, but I think actions speak louder than words. I think the way they live and the way they use Scripture uh, reveals their true feelings, and that is uh, that their Bible is the written word and not the Logos himself. So in a lot of ways, I, I think I think the Bible is not the fourth member of the Trinity. I think the Bible usurped Christ uh, in, in many people's uh, Christian lives and, uh, and set him aside in, in, in a lot of ways, right? So, Brad Jerzak, uh, he was, um, he's involved, in, oh, this is going to be dumb because <laughs> I, I'm too cheap to, uh, instead of cheap, I'll just say poor, uh, to take part in this online conference that they did. So, I don't know, like six or eight people, they offered an online conference during Advent. And... And then they, they posted something online about what was going on 
in the conference, something that they had, you know, just a snippet of information that they had come to some conclusion to. And it was about saints, and, and particularly the veneration of saints uh, in Catholicism and Orthodoxy. It has something to do with that. Uh, and if you don't know, there is a, a process uh, by which both Catholics and Orthodox identify certain people throughout history who have been particularly, quote-unquote, holy, uh, or, um, what's another way to say that, uh, I guess I would say very holy, <laughs> uh, to the point where they have either done miracles or suffered greatly and remained gracious or something like this. Usually, some kind of miracle is involved. What was that? Something. Beep bong, beep bong. I don't know what that was. Uh, some kind of miracle was involved, and so they are called saints, and they're put kind of on a list, and they are uh, venerated. Now, the, I don't know what the, the process of veneration is, um, but basically, at least in Catholicism, uh, many people either choose or are given a patron saint, someone who, I suppose, they try to emulate, right? They try to emulate uh, so that they can, too, uh, be very holy or very uh, very great or endure suffering uh, graciously or whatever. There's a process of this. We've all heard of it, right? St. Patrick and St. Nicholas. And there, there are many, 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 many saints. Uh, I believe maybe Mother Teresa has already been venerated. Um, but generally they take people who um, were very, very good people uh, and they, through a process, uh, they, they raise them to sainthood. Now, the tradition I grew up in, of course, we believe that all believers are the saints. That the saints is a, is a term that, that is used to refer to all believers in the Bible. Right? The saints. Um, now, Brad Jerzak has been involved in uh, orthodoxy, the Orthodox Church, for some time. I don't remember if it's Greek or if it's uh, Russian. Or, uh, I think it might be Russian, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, Orthodox theology, which I've been quite interested in. I think I've mentioned in the podcast from time to time. There are some really interesting things that I like about uh, Orthodox theology. It's not going to make me join the Orthodox Church like Jerzak did, probably. Uh, it hasn't yet, let's say that. Um, but anyway, there it is. Uh, so the thing that they said was, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I know I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it. Um, it, it made a distinction between Christian celebrities and Christian saints. 
Alright, if I get a stop sign, I'm going to have to look this up because I really, I saw this and I knew this is what I was going to want to talk about. Uh, but then so much time passed, uh, it, it's kind of not, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not fresh in my mind enough. I'll have to look it up here real quick. See if I can find it here. I don't know. I hope it comes up. Yeah, I think it's going to here. Let's see. Oh, here we go. So what it says is, when we don't have saints, we have celebrities. Saints are persons in whose sufferings we see Jesus. Celebrities are persons without suffering. Okay, it's a very simple, reductive, dismissive statement, I think. Um, but I think what they're trying to do is that they're trying to say that... <clears throat> I think what they're probably trying to say is that actually even even uh, groups who say they don't have saints have saints. Uh, now we wouldn't call them saints any more than, you know, uh, and, and we don't necessarily have a process of identifying and venerating, but it does happen, right? We tend to, we tend to, we tend toward hero, hero worship. I think it's pretty normal, pretty common. Uh, so when we don't have saints, we have celebrities. Uh, saints are Christians who have suffered, and celebrities are Christians who have not suffered. Now, I, yeah, of course, it's a bit reductive because there are, uh, of course, a lot of Christian, quote-unquote, evangelical celebrities who have suffered, I'm sure. Everybody has suffered. Uh, but what what marks a saint is the level of their suffering, I suppose, which cannot be fully recognized until after their death, right? And so they're not venerated while they're alive. They're venerated after death, uh, if at all. And, and Christian celebrities are worshipped while they're alive. And I say worship because it's true. Um, I think there are a lot of a lot of uh, Christian celebrities who've been worshipped over the years. I mean, I can point to quite a few. Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to deny it, but you would you wouldn't call it worship. You would call it, you know, appreciation or people being a fan, right? There, there, there are preachers and speakers who have fans. Um, Maybe somehow that makes you feel better about it, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, I asked a question, and I don't think anybody ever got back to me. Um, yeah, nobody, nobody uh, wanted to touch it. I guess so. Here's what I here's what was my response to that. The invitation of followers of Jesus to join in his suffering 
to take up his cross is an invitation into sainthood. Saints are made through suffering, either by enduring and overcoming, or through succumbing to it. Right? Many saints did succumb to the suffering. They died. They were crucified. If we have not suffered, we have not followed Christ, not taken up his cross. Something like this. So, yeah, I, I was just trying to... I, of course, I didn't grow up in the uh, in the tradition of, of the veneration of saints, but in our tradition, we did have and do have uh, celebrities in our groups, you know, uh, founders of our movement, for example, or famous preachers or famous uh, people from our congregations who became famous in worldly ways. Uh, one that comes to mind is Weird Al Yankovic, apparently, was a Church of Christ person. Uh, or became a Church of Christ person later, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, there are others, obviously. Uh, <clears throat> but you tend to, you know, exalt, uh, or, you know, build up, or lift up, or hold on a high pedestal, people who you identify that have made it or have done amazing things. I think it's pretty normal and natural to do this. Uh, but we can't take it too far. And to me, you know, the strange thing is the veneration of saints is how I would identify taking it too far. You know, praying to a saint. This idea that you can pray to a saint, to someone who has died. And apparently in Catholicism, uh, saints are people that we can be sure have gone to heaven. Like we, we believe through our knowledge uh, that they are in heaven since they died. They are with Christ and therefore they can be prayed to or something like this. I, I really would love to you know, discover more about this because a lot of it just doesn't make um, sense to me. But on the other hand, you know, what I'm saying is, is that the veneration of saints, the worship of heroes, uh, the, uh, you know, the idea of fame, of, of looking up to and worshiping famous people is quite human. It's quite human to do that. And I think we've always done that. Uh, the Bible is a record of people who were, um, who were worshiped because of their deeds, their great deeds. Some of them did amazing things and then did bad things later and they were human and uh, you know, people like um, Samson uh, hard to find anything that he did that was actually good I suppose um, and yet he was he's kind of the quintessential biblical hero uh, him and David um, I would think are, are up there as well as of course Joshua Moses to some extent um, these warriors right we, we, we have always worshipped the violent in a lot of ways and I think this the way this is translated to, to church today is a lot of the people we, we worship in church are people who have argued with people who we disagree with right they've gone to battle uh, if, if, if you know if only in word 
they've gone to battle uh, for whatever cause we believe in as well. Uh, I think we also worship politicians. We all obviously worship entertainers and movie actors, right? That's those are people that we tend to look up to and admire. Um, buy their stuff. <clears throat> um, but this idea of sainthood, you know, the idea that after people die, we take the time to investigate their lives and then make an assumption on whether or not they've gotten into heaven or not. And if they have, uh, then we we put them on a list and we allow people to pray to them and to emulate them and, and uh, we, we basically make them uh, a template, right? We create a template. This is a way that you can live your life that will please God. <clears throat> now, You know, playing devil's advocate, there's nothing wrong with emulating somebody, to, you know, having a mentor. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, um, in fact, it's not just that there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm not sure there's any other way that we can begin our Christian life. I think everybody begins their Christian life being introduced to and following somebody who they feel or believe is, is holy or good. And that's one of the things that is the doorway or the gateway, hopefully, to them following Christ and not just you. Paul said, you know, emulate me as I emulate Christ. Continue to, to follow me, to do what I told you to, right? Uh, Paul talks to Timothy, especially, in this way. <clears throat> and I think we would all agree that Paul was a mentor to quite a few uh, younger men in his day that that's, that's how he operated he, he uh, discipled them as he was discipled by various people but also by Christ so I think a good mentor a healthy, a healthy saint if you will is somebody who yes uh, emulates uh, gives you a life to emulate and to follow but as quickly as possible takes the focus off of themselves and puts it squarely on Christ, hands you over to Christ. Um, because they know, they all knew, their own shortcomings. Um, and frankly, some of the people that have been venerated, I don't think were necessarily great people. That there are parts in their life that even we know uh, that may have been not so not so great, uh, and maybe we find this out later. One of the things that comes to mind is Saint Nicholas. This is Christmas, you know. This is Advent. Uh, Saint Nicholas was uh, an actual bishop or elder in the church, and I want to say he came from Smyrna in Turkey, but I'm not sure exactly the city. I think it's something like that. Uh, it, it would have been Greece at the time, but I think today we, it would be part of Turkey. Uh, and he apparently uh, 
was debating with another bishop over a big theological issue that was a big rift uh, in the church. It was a big deal. It was, um, I want to say it was uh, Marcion. Is it Marcionite? Marcionite. That might be it. Hey Siri, what's a Marcionite? Okay, I found this on the web for what's a Marcellite. Check it out. Not Marcellite. Marcionite. Marcion. Hey Siri, who is Marcion? You'll need to unlock your... Which mark? <laughs> Marcionism. Marcionite. Uh, I can't remember now. Anyway, basically it was someone who denied the divinity of Christ. <laughs> Which is a big theological deal, right? Um, the divinity of Christ uh, is something that a lot of people would draw a line at. <clears throat> I get that. Well, not only did St. Nicholas, if the stories uh, we have are true, not only did he draw a line at that idea and, and denounce uh, this other bishop, but he uh, saw fit to punch him in the face over this. <laughs> Uh, it came to blows. Uh, he was so enraged at this doctrine uh, that he was willing to fight physically. And that is probably a, an aspect of St. Nicholas that I would rather people not emulate. Um, I'm not sure that's the correct way to go about it. But the fact that he's a saint, right? Now that you say that he's a saint and that he did that... Basically, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, <clears throat> you have, <coughs> sorry, <clears throat> you have allowed violence as a tool to solve disputes, <laughs> theological disputes nonetheless, uh, and that's a dangerous precedent. St. Nicholas did it. He's a saint, therefore, we can all do it. <clears throat> now, of course, St. Nicholas is where we get Santa Claus, right? Uh, Santa Claus, uh, St. Nicholas became a saint. He was venerated. And he was known for his generosity to the poor. Uh, and he gave to the poor, and he did it anonymously, apparently. But somehow we know about it. But anyway, he apparently gave anonymously. Uh, and this is why we remember him, right? He was, he was generous. He, oh, sorry, just build something. He was generous, and he stood up for, quote unquote, the faith, though he did it uh, with physical violence, which I would not condone. Not that I couldn't do it. I mean, I suppose, in the heat of the moment, you know, we're we're capable of all kinds of stuff. Then again, I'm not a saint, not in, not in the venerated way of thinking of it. So, th this is my, you know, this is my dilemma with with the idea of veneration. Nobody is without sin, uh, except Christ, uh, as far as we know, as far as I know. So, yeah. It seems like it's, in a lot of ways, it's the worst form of hero worship. It's literally 
prayer, you know. And people wear medallions with the saint on it. And you have icons, which are basically images that are worshipped in both, both Orthodox, especially Orthodoxy, but also Catholicism, right? There are images that are prayed to. And, uh, it does have the... It has the feel and look of idolatry in a lot of ways. And yet I'm going to withhold judgment on that because, you know, I think it depends on what's going on in each person's heart. Um, emulating, again, a very good person is not a bad thing. Um, deifying them, uh, that might be a separate issue altogether. And of course, the you know, the... The one the Protestants point to the most is the veneration of Mary. Mary was made a saint, and even more than a saint. The saint of saints, I would say. Um, they do call her Saint Mary. Uh, they don't call her God, but they call her Mother of God, right? Um, and she is probably prayed to more than certainly any other saint, and she probably rivals... God, Jesus, right? She probably rivals God in the, in the number of prayers offered to her. She could have surpassed him. I have no idea. I still don't know how to rectify that. I still don't know how to get over that part. And I'm not willing, uh, as Protestants were, <laughs> uh, in Ireland, for example, and many other instances. I'm not willing to go to war over it. Uh, which I think should make me a saint. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, it's a sticky subject. It's, it's difficult to figure out. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, Brad Jerzek is a, a hero of mine. His book was was that amazing and I've I bought a few books from him and uh, and and follow him online and and uh, you know I, I do appreciate him very much um, but to go as far as to venerate him as a saint uh, anyway I, I think it's an interesting thing uh, I wish I wasn't so uh, poor aka cheap to uh, be involved in this uh, uh, this conference, this Advent conference they're doing. Uh, maybe I'll, I will uh, go back and buy it later, figure out how it went. And, I, mean, I am interested in it. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll go check it out sometime. See how it goes. Uh... Be that as it may, just a little Advent thing, you know, about peace that I think maybe St. Saint, Saint Nicholas missed um, a little bit in his life, at least at one point. Maybe he changed later, I don't know. Uh, peace was what was lacking, you know, the idea of shalom is what was lacking the most in the lives of the people who were crying out for God to save them, crying out for salvation, who were uh, hoping for a Messiah, an anointed one of God to come. 
they were oppressed, uh, they were scared, and they had lost a considerable, considerable amount of their freedom and sovereignty as a nation. Um, they were dealing with a lot of chaos. Uh, they didn't know what the Romans were going to do next. And I think their pride, right, the pride of having been a sovereign nation, having kings like David and Solomon, uh, was something that what made them long for, again, to be a great sovereign nation, to not be um, a, a slave to the Romans, per se. They saw themselves as more than they currently were. Uh, they believed that they deserved better. In fact, I think you know, if uh, you know, push came to shove, they would say that they were better than the Romans. That 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 they were God's chosen people, and the Romans weren't. And a lot of this may be a lot of the reason why why they're return to sovereignty never came physically right they expected they expected um, God to come back as the Messiah and and restore their nation back to its former glory to restore the temple to return its relics uh, to, to clean up clean up corruption uh, in their religion in their in their country to expel the Romans, uh, to take back whatever territories they had lost, uh, and to restore wealth, right? Wealth and worship, I think, is probably what they wanted more than anything. Um, the problem was uh, the peace they sought was always available to them, uh, the real peace, the peace that passes all understanding, which is what Christ brought, right? He was the Prince of Peace, but it wasn't the peace that, that they were looking for. Uh, they were looking for a, a kind of shalom that made them militarily relevant and powerful again so that they could protect themselves. Um, they wanted a king. They wanted a champion. They wanted a, a warrior king. Maybe even a poet warrior king like David was. Uh but the shalom Jesus brought was, <laughs> it sounds cliche, but, you know, it was an inner peace. It was an inner shalom. The idea that um, if you knew, if you knew, God says, if you knew who I am, you wouldn't worry about such things. Um, to know God is to know peace. And so God came in in the body of Jesus. He came and and he mingled with people. He loved people. He helped people. He taught people. Uh, he became an example for people to emulate. Uh, you want to talk about a saint of saints? Um, you need no go go no farther than Jesus himself. And I talked about last week how it is very difficult to emulate Jesus. You know. But the, the biggest message of peace I think he brought is that you don't have to do anything to enter his peace. That his peace envelops you. It's, it's so powerful. 
and wide-reaching that really you need not reach for it at all. It's all, it's all around you. Uh, you, are, you are blanketed in it. You just don't know it. And when you know it, it changes your life. When you know it, it changes your life. Now, what I what I always thought was once I w- once I finally grasped the gospel that suddenly everything would fix itself. But the problem is there's still a lot of pain when you know that there are other people who you love who haven't found that peace yet, uh, who for whatever reason uh, are still struggling in their life trying to trying to be protected or trying trying to be covered trying to be saved, uh, they don't realize they're already saved and that all the, all the shalom we could ever need has already been granted to us. Um, yeah. So I hope, you know, that would be my message of peace to you today is that life has been granted to you, um, the one that came, us, came to give us Abundant life, abundant eternal life has granted it to you and you have but to open your eyes and see him and accept his life. Um, But it's given to you nonetheless. Peace, guys. Bye-bye.